Hello and welcome to the Creative Scramble. My name is Carl Thompson. And my name is Matty Singh. And today we are joined by a man who actually used to teach me visual effects back at uni, Sam Highfield. Hello. Um, but Sam, you are now an accomplished and successful visual effects supervisor, I believe. I, I am indeed, yeah, thank you. No worries. Um, so just a bit of a brief intro, really. What does a day in the life of being a visual effects supervisor look like? How does it distinguish from being a visual effects artist? Yeah, well, I'll, uh, I'll give you an answer for both, for being a VFX supervisor and being a VFX artist. So, for example, let's, let's, say, um, let's say I'm on a show in, in France, which is, which is very recent. Um, so doing a, I was recently doing a, um, a show for, for Disney in, uh, in Paris. It's called, it's called Find Me in Paris, actually. And so a normal day would be, would um, wake up, the real look after this, actually, they, um, they pay for a flight, they put us in a nice hotel and everything, so we'll wake up, um, then we'll get in like a, like a, like a, a minivan together. I'll jump in with the, um, the, the director and the writer and everything like that. And because we're all quite, you know, excited about the show, we normally just have a, a lot of like good laughs along the way, on, on the way to set. Um, especially if it's about half an hour, you know, the journey and everything like that. So we'll have, normally have a roaring good time, actually, you know, you chatting on the set and everything like that. And then when we get to the set, it'd be, we'll, I'll have an idea of what the director wants. So, by the way, when I, when I get to know a director, I'll, I'll try and go for, go for drinks for them, go to a restaurant, go for a kebab with them, you know, anything that's, um, so I can really get to know that person a lot because what I've got to do is a kind of like a feat of telepathy really where I've got to see what what they actually want from the visual effects shot because they'll explain what they want and I've basically got to go and put that on the screen basically. So what they'll do is they'll, they'll, they'll you know come up with an idea. This is obviously before the day. We don't just do it all in a day. Like, oh, Sam, let's have a, a city here and let's have a pirate ship over there and uh, let's uh, you know blow up that building or something like that. Um, so what we'll do is then we'll, um, I'll, we'll, we'll go on set, if, if, if we're working with the green screen, if we're working with the actors and such, I'll give them a briefing of um, what we're actually doing and, and give them, you know, I'll set my little, um, my own software I made called Imagine where we can basically show everyone live what the, what the visual effects are. So we can show the actors, we can show the directors, they can get an idea, they can really absorb people in like the, um, the environment of the, of the effect, if they're, in like, if they're in the future, if they're in like a Victorian times, whatever. We can really immerse them in that and then we'll go and do the, the performance then. Didn't Jim Cameron make something like that similar for Avatar? Yes. Years and years ago. How does yours differ? Well, there, there, is, there is something called NCAM, which is, which is really good. And it basically allows you to like a live visual effects thing. And it's, it's, it's really great. You can do, you, um, you can, it works with like a motion control train. So it's like a four ton motion control train. Train? Crane. There we go. <laughs> so yeah, you can, um, and you can give like a, a, an idea of the, uh, the effects live and everything like that. The only difference is that it's between what, what that is and what I've made is, is that one, you need a four ton. Basically, you don't really need that much equipment with what I've created. It's basically your laptop. It's a capture device, an option. You can mount your phone to the camera. You can use a gyroscope and accelerometer to get an idea of the orientation of the, the camera and such. So it's really minimum setup. Um, 
if, if I'm going to plug my own product, it's £480. And <laughs> <laughs> we shall include it in the show notes. It's called Imagine Eye. Yeah, ima- Imagine Eye, yeah. It's cheap. Yeah. Pro gear. Um, and then something like NCAM, which is, which is a great system, but I don't know, it's something like... It's many, many thousands of pounds per week to rent, and you can never, you can never really buy it because you need servers, uh, you know, cranes and, and, and such. Um, maybe you can attach tracking markers to ceilings, like a studio ceiling and everything like that. And then you need like a staff of people to run with it. But with mine, it's basically just, it's like an app on a laptop, and it's it's not as good as Encamp. So if you've got the money to spend thousands of pounds a, a week on VFX visualization. Go for that, but if you haven't got thousands of pounds a week to spend, um, then for four hundred and eighty pounds you can buy it for forever, and it's free updates forever as well. And it does it does a pretty similar job. It's not as good, but for most VFX work that you'll be doing, it pretty does it does a pretty much similar job for obviously a much lower price point, which means there's no excuse now for any film crew in the world to ever film VFX blind, as I say. So you. You've already mentioned like thousands of pounds a week in terms of just costs for software. So you're obviously working on some pretty massive productions. Is it features? Is it TV shows? Is it commercials? Like what kind of stuff do you do? So I, I, um, I mainly work in Disney live action TV shows at the moment. Although I have worked for... Is Montana style stuff? Yeah, I, I guess you, I guess you could. Yeah, I guess you could say that. It, it is more like on location based because Hannah Montana is kind of like a, a lot more studio type of show but um but yeah it is that that kind of work is where i'm at the moment and it's an interesting question actually because it's because when i started visual effects and such i started off from a point where i i knew i knew no one in the industry uh i started off well my first proper job was stacking shelves in the supermarket i didn't know anyone in the industry didn't have any money or or, or anything like that so basically i've gradually built a career over i say about i think it's about nine nine years now Nine or ten years from basically working on small things like like corporate videos uh, and such, trying to do music videos, and then realizing that people couldn't really pay for that because even though you got these really talented, and if, if perhaps some of the listeners who, who listen to this are, if they're wanting to to kind of go into like motion graphics or videography or filmmaking in of of some kind, um, this might be an interesting story because I basically went from nothing really for knowing anyone to basically working up to Disney. So my route was, I did corporate films. I also did like a bit of, uh, after that I did a bit of teaching. And... That's where I came uh, in. That's where Matthew Singh comes in. Of course. And then I Best did, student ever. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> actually, yeah, actually. Matt was really exemplary. I'll pay you later. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, through basically corporate films. And then I want to do um, a few things through BBC. And I got that through... Basically, just talking to everyone. I got lucky. A guy from my the gym that I went to was a, a TV director. Just got on really well. Didn't even know he was a director. And then we eventually said, what do you do? I do visual effects. And unfortunately, it really, that went off well from there. So from basically, did a good job with that first BBC show. Then one job became two. Two became four from that. And then I started working for like um, ITV and then Sky and then eventually Disney, which is, I mean, they're all great networks. I, I really do like the kind of whole Disney work. It's the kind of work that I, I, I really love love to do as well. And also Disney are becoming really massive as well. Because they own Marvel. So is that yeah. is that an, an aspiration? I know we're we'll probably jumping the gun a bit here, but I'm just so excited yeah. that you said you work for Disney. Yeah, yeah, it's yeah. really interesting because I mean, at the moment, so I... I work on live action TV shows, which are certainly smaller than Marvel or films or anything like that, because 
for example, you have many, you have basically all the best visual effects houses in the world working on the Marvel. If anyone's ever, ever watch the credits, watch the credits. <laughs> yeah, exactly, it's ridiculous. Yeah, isn't well, it? normally credits is like it's like one nice column slowly going up the screen. But when it comes to visual effects, you go up to like five columns and you see this army of names. So it's like, how many companies do you think would work on, say, the latest Avengers film? I'd say about eight or nine companies. VFX. With what, like 10 guys in each company? Uh, maybe about 200 guys in each company. Oh, yeah. Guys and girls, sorry. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's outrageous, and, um, isn't it? I, I, one of the VFX artists that I hired, she's a girl and she, she's, or a lady, I should say. And uh, she, yeah, she, she's she's really brilliant. It, it's it's really interesting. I always think with like really, I think it's really kind of really technical fields. It really doesn't matter, you know, if you're male, female, gay, straight. If even if you're a human or a monkey, as long as you can do the work, then then that that's that's what's what's needed really. Um, yeah. So you you got to where you are, kind of by by meeting the right people and probably being good at your job. Yeah, yes. I always think it's two levels, who you know and, and what you know. And you want to kind of like level them up at the, the same time. So you've got to be, um, got to have a really great ability. You've got to, I mean, to be honest, um, well, from my opinion anyway, I think you've got to work like, especially when you're starting out, you've got to work like a mad person pretty much every waking hour of the day. I remember when I first got started, I was doing like a normal job in the supermarket for like 40 hours a week. And then after that, I would volunteer at this place. It's really, I think it's closed down actually. It's called CSV Media in Manchester. And they were kind of like, they did like kind of videography and that kind of thing. And they had a computer, had After Effects and 3D Studio Max on there. And I thought, oh, what's this stuff? And then no one else could figure it out because it was too much of a headache to learn. Um, probably anyone who's listened to this who's used 3ds max, 3ds max, or, or any kind of technical software like that, it, it, it can be a massive headache, especially in the beginning where you can't do all the basic stuff that I you was want to. Terrible at 3ds max, and that's how I discovered that 3D might not be for me. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. It's um, I, was, I remember how much of a headache it was at the beginning. I kept falling asleep in the beginning because it was it was so mentally exhausting to just keep hitting brick wall after brick wall after brick wall, and especially when I got going, which is about ten years ago, which is probably just before you started university, Matt, um, then there wasn't really all these tutorials all over the internet and that, that kind of thing. You basically had to know someone or you had to figure it out yourself. And like a lot of the I mean, tutorials weren't really a thing. There was kind of like a lot of like help documents and such. And I mean, just to give everyone an idea, if, if anyone's used something like Adobe After Effects, it was like pre-video co-pilot time, you know, and Andrew Kramer does that because before I think, Video Copilot came along, um, he breathed a lot of life into After Effects and such. And before that, it was just kind of this weird thing that kind of came. He almost made it cool, didn't he? Yeah, 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 he did. Because before that, it was like, it kind of came with a suite where, if you got like the Adobe Creative Suite, this is actually before it was called that, you'd have Adobe Reader, you'd have Adobe Photoshop, which everyone used, Adobe Premiere, which was this kind of, wow, you can do, you can do editing on your computer. That's, that's really, and then After Effects, which was this kind of thing with like loads of, uh, like panels and really, really technical and and uh, I remember this weird tutorial where they, where they said uh, this is how you can track these like sparkles to the end of this magic wand and it was really complicated and it looked rubbish and <laughs> and um, and then no one would realistically ever use it but that's everyone that's the first impression everyone had so it wasn't until you had people that kind of breathed a lot of life and color into, I mean, there's loads of like really cool uh, websites now and tutorials and such. I think video tutorials are quite magical, actually. There's something about it as opposed to like a written or reading something from a book. 
um, there's something really that really just really hits a spot and allows a lot of people to actually learn these things as opposed to having to it's almost like one-on-one um, -on -one tutoring isn't it somebody yeah. over your shoulder saying do this do that you have it on another monitor and you can follow on in real time how somebody achieves a particular effect yeah and, and, and matt probably wished i could you could do this when i when i was teaching him that you can if i explain something didn't get it you can pause the video rewind it and then go over it again definitely well within a lesson you can say oh, teacher I, I didn't get that what was it and you explain it okay oh and could you explain it again could you explain it a few more times? And then by the time you've done that, like everyone else in the class is kind of like, you know, start chewing gum and looking at the phone and, you know, staring out the window. And so it's like that personal, I mean, I think learning is really interesting, especially because things are evolving quite quick. Well, you've got to learn a lot of time. And um, there's just some, I will not do any name dropping for, for this one, but there's, when you work for some of the, the bigger places in TV, they will have a few, Older gentlemen who, who work in the industry, some of them, by the way, older gentlemen, by the way, really, some of the guys I know, they're almost like 65, 70, they're as sharp as a pin. And they, you know, they, they're really interested to learn about new technologies and utilizing everything like that. However, and everyone's like that, and what you get is they begin to hide behind the shield of experience. And I bring this up as well, because especially if, if you have a lot of younger um, listeners, you'll have, um, people who've kind of like fallen behind a bit and that they, they've, 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 the things have learned maybe 10, 10, 15 years ago. That's exactly what they're doing now. Things have moved on. And so you kind of got like a few dinosaurs doing things like the old way and such. And they've not moved with the times and they, they tend to hide behind their experience as a shield to say, oh, I've, I've got 20 years of experience, you know, which is, which is great. But things have moved on massively in that time. The things that your... It doesn't make you better at your job necessarily than somebody else. Yeah, I mean, it's, some things never change, so experience does count. But, I mean, experience doesn't guarantee performance, you know? Yeah, there's loads uh, of things that go into, obviously, it's creativity, there's work ethic, you know, innovation, that all yeah. goes into making a good final product. You can't just, like, say, rely on 20 years of experience. Yeah, yeah, and, and, it's, and it's really interesting as well because the... I've, I've worked with quite a few film crews around, mainly around, around Europe and such, although I've worked a lot of cast from like America, American Canada as well. And you've got people of a certain age, and some of them, they're, they're, even things like electricians and such, because uh, some of them, they, they are, um, they're of, you know, about, about maybe 40, 50 years old. And if they're still really excited, they're coming up with like really interesting solutions, they're um, thinking how oh, we can do this, this and that. And then at the other end, You've got the other end of, um, say, electricians again, where they say, oh, no, we don't do that. We don't touch anything green. You know, really kind of anti, especially my role, quite anti-visual effects. Because I find some crews are either pro-VFX or anti-VFX because it's something new, something uncomfortable with. It's something they didn't really learn about when they did most of the training maybe 20 years ago. Is it new, though? Like, Jurassic Park came out in 94. Yeah, it is for TV, I think. Okay. So I, I know what you mean. It's in, becoming in more accessible for TV budgets, yeah. I guess, isn't it? Yeah. Compared to big feature films. Yeah, absolutely. And and the ones who are say you, this kind of like in, in the fifties or or sixties now, the ones who are really excited are the ones who are want really great to work with. They're earning a lot more money and they're working on really interesting projects. Well, I do get you. There is you do get some some kind of grumpier ones. Who basically they complain of oh, the last 15 years I've been on about the same money, you know. And once you take into account inflation, it's actually less. 
But the thing is, it's because they want to do the, the, the minimum all the time. That's why they've been, that's why they've been doing the same kind of jobs for the last like 10, 15 years and been earning the same money. Because if you're a producer, who do you want to work with? Do you want to work with people who are really excited, keeping ahead of the, the times, they've got that kind of like, like that life in, in their eyes, who, who when things go wrong, and, in, and when you're filming, things always do go wrong. Um, are they gonna be the people who think, hey, why don't we try out this solution? We've not done it before, we think it can work, and yeah, and then it can work, especially if you've got a good team around. Or do you wanna be these people where, oh no, we can't do that, you know, no, we ain't got time to do that, you know, or you need to what buy time's lunch. <laughs> yeah, exactly, yeah. Yeah. that's lunch. <laughs> Um, that kind of transitions into, firstly, I wanted to ask about, uh, you've got After Effects, what softwares should people be learning now yeah. to sort of stay current to, if they want to aspire to work in this industry? Yeah, yeah. Also, the attitude and personality traits to, in order to be a success. You could be aspiring VFX artist, compositor, but also maybe for people who want to progress from artist to a supervisor like you have done. Yes, yeah. yeah. What would you recommend from those two if, points if, of view? If I can recommend the, talk about the last point first, so how do you go from VFX artist to VFX supervisor? Yeah. The answer to that is actually, it's well one, you got to do, you know, be good at your job and everything, but there's a really big thing about money and that's something I actually want to talk about a little bit because I see a lot of people, compared to say people who work in like automotive engineering or anything like that, a lot of people work in film, especially young people, I've noticed that it's all about, you know, the dream, you get to create this thing and everything like that, and then you almost, they almost kind of like work for free, you know, I don't think they've really got the, the money kind of sorted out because, I mean, I mean, I've done certainly a lot of time where I've had to do like 100 hours at weeks for months on end, which is something, parts of fevers of you know, had had some experience with, unfortunately. Um, but you know, we kind of you kind of artists. We kind of really love what we're doing. We kind of go down the rabbit hole, as I as I say, to steal from Abbas Alice in Wonderland. And you, you you know you put a lot of work and fix all these problems and all this kind of thing. And then before you know it, you're basically doing um, 100 hours a week and, and such, which is which is good because it makes you really good really quickly. You know, you get your 10,000 hours in to, to to become really good at something. So if you're doing 100 hours a week, that 10,000 hours comes up quite quickly, you know. Um, but, Sorry, why, why are you doing 100 hours a week? Because um, you have to, like the job requires it, or yeah, because I, you're hitting those brick walls like you mentioned earlier and going, shit, how do I accomplish this? And that's what's dragging the time out. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's really interesting. Unfortunately, the 100 hours a week thing is something that I don't really do anymore. In fact, for the last two years, I've not really had to do that. Yeah. But when I was getting going, so, and everyone I know for sure who's, who's really good, especially in visual effects, They've, they've all done that kind of thing. It's just kind of like this, this mad obsession. The reason why is because, um, I'll give you a, an example. So for a, a show, which I won't mention the name of, we had this problem where um, the show was finished and we wanted to broadcast a show. So a lot of uh, TV networks bought it. You've got Nickelodeon, Disney, Universal, uh, who have a TV channel now, um, Hulu, streaming service in America. But basically there's a problem where someone didn't realize that there was, someone had a t-shirt on with like a band name on it, it was a copyrighted name. And so we couldn't really broadcast it. And so basically we had to change this logo to, to something else. And so, so it basically wasn't like an intellectual property infringement or something like that. So the thing is with clothes, you got like a lot of, if anyone is listening to this and, and they know about compositing and tracking and such, um, it's quite easy to replace say, um, like a sign extra row because that's a rigid thing but with clothes you kind of people and it was on like the chest area 
And so with that, you've got like a lot of creasing, cut clothes, folding, you know, folds in clothes. You've got shadow passing over hair, passing, so you've got those kind of occlusions. Lighting changes, because they're in like this kind of like, um, this kind of like dance place where you had lots of different lighting going on. And so all the, the normal techniques for that would be, if you were to use, because my, my main software is Nuke, by the way, um, although After Effects is really great. Um, you would you do like a 2D track or a planar track or something like that, but the thing is that's all very rigid. So basically, what we had to do was I had to figure out a technique where because I I know if you if you to like do a 2D track, it would it would on this very flexible surface off someone's chest and they're wearing like a t-shirt over that. Um, you maybe do a 2D track and then maybe you could do like an animated grid warp or puppet pin tools and you could do that. But I tell you I tell you now that tracking by eye is not a human thing to do. The continuity, you, you go through frame by frame, you think you got it dead on. Did you get the thing called shimmer? Is that what you call it? Shimmer. Shimmer is it? Or flicker or something. It's, it's a thing that I, I used to do a bit of After Effects like years and years ago, and so I had that experience as well. So you've got a, your, your 2D tracker going, and if you can't do it with uh, the automated software, you'll go back and you'll do it by eye. By eye, yeah. And then, so you, like you said, um, the keyframes look like they're perfect until you play it back and you realise whatever you tracked is shimmering yeah. between moving. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah you can, it, it slides. Yeah. Or, it, or an old old animation term is boiling as well. Yeah. So it's like let's say if you if you hand draw. My laptop went out of the window and that happened. Yeah. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> just done with compositing. Yeah, because because what you do is you'll spend maybe many hours going through it almost like you know, almost like frame by frame, and then you'll have this heartbreaking moment where you play it through at the end, and you realize it's kind of jumping all over the place, and you can't see anything else except the fix that you were trying to make, and yeah, it's just, like yeah, and, and the same goes for uh, rotoscoping or masking, where if you try to cut something fine out frame by frame, you'll spend maybe hours, maybe a whole day in it, and you play it back, and it'll be like boiling the edge. Um, just no amount of feathering can fix that. Yeah, I, I know, I know. It's just something because we notice kind of quick motion. It's like something our, our human eyes are very quick to pick up on. It's like just to give, if, if that's a bit confusing for anyone, let's say you imagine you drew Bart Simpson or Sonic the Hedgehog or whatever um, by hand, frame by frame. Even if they were stood there and they're just waving their arm, because you drew, if you drew the whole body every time, the edges of them would begin to like, like begin to like boil a bit. The, the, it would begin to the edges because because you're on the human, you can't draw exactly the same line in exactly the same place over and over again. So just just go back to my um, thing about the tr tracking a flexible surface on this T-shirt for this to remove, to change this this band named for a new graphic on this person's T-shirt. We in in new, there is this thing it's called vector distort and it tracks every pixel on the screen and therefore if you fold. Um, something, it'll track something with the fold, which is really, really cool. And if you say, if you hand draw in a crease, the crease will also animate as well. So basically the difference is, is that you can get a better result in 10 minutes using this technique than you could do if you spent two days in After Effects. And let's say you've got a hundred shots, we had, we had to do 105 shots in total. So let's say, let's say if you're spending just 10 minutes on the tracking versus two days, so Two, 10 minutes goes into two days how many times? Yeah, a lot, a lot, multiplied by 105. Yeah. So, but basically what that means is you can do all those 105 shots in maybe uh, two weeks with a few people on it maybe, as opposed to maybe doing a terrible job taking five months. Yeah, yeah. And, and, and that's the key thing about being a VFX supervisor where you've got to see what the problem is and then you've got to think, 
you've got to think as close as possible a straight line from where you are to the end result and what's the straightest line between those two points. So the straightest line is choosing the best technique the first time, perhaps doing um, uh, teaching the, the people who are going to work with you this new technique, which can literally be a little three minute video tutorial. So I'll, I'll figure this thing out, make sure it works, figure out any problems, like if you have occlusions or anything like that. And then I will go and tell that to all the people that I hire and they will then execute that plan. And therefore we can get something done in two weeks. I can pay them well for that, for that two weeks because when I go and ask for money from the, from the production, I can say, one, can you get it done? And says, yeah. And also if I say it's going to take five months, you just think that that's way too long. Or I can get it two weeks, but I'm going to have to hire like maybe 50 people, you know? And then the thing is, for them, if they haven't got the money to spend on it, then what's going to happen? You know, they, they pretty much have to remove that episode from, from the show or, or, or it's, a, it's a major problem. So basically, by knowing all the techniques, you can basically get something done on time and on schedule. And you can produce a very good result for a price that one, which means that I can pay my people well, you know. So for that, I mean, at that time, I think I was paying people about, about £240 a day for that. So that's a good price as, 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 a, as a freelancer to me. Plus they get taught a new technique which they could use to work on any production in the world. Where That's a nice block booking as well, isn't it? They know yeah. two weeks, they're solid. Yeah, yeah, that, that's it. And then um, then I can I can seem like a hero as well because I've managed to do this thing in, in two weeks instead of instead of five months. Yeah, you save time and money, you're the problem solver. Are yeah, there any for the like, whole production. Are there mm. any consequences to this? So obviously the person who wore the t-shirt Partly their mistake, partly wardrobe's mistake, partly the producer's mistake, partly the first AD's mistake. There's a lot of people who should have probably picked up on that before it even got to you to have to deal with. You know, what does anybody own up to it and go, yeah, it was me, my bad, or do we all just kind of brush it past it and hope that production are willing to pay for to cover up the mistake? Yeah, I mean, first of all, exactly as you said, how did it pass through so many hoops and nobody saw it? I mean, everyone's watching it and such. The the answer to that is because they did alter than it a little bit with a black biro uh, or a sharpie and thought oh yeah that'd be enough yeah. but actually it turns out you're shooting 4k you can see everything yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah exactly exactly it, it was it wasn't enough and and the thing is it's like who, who you're really trying to satisfy is the lawyer who owns intellectual property for them and if they're kind of a bit a bit like a vulture and they say listen i want to get money wherever i can they're going to be looking at it, they're going to be freeze-framing it, zooming in, saying, ha, look, that's our logo there, and all that kind of thing. So that, that's the kind of person who you've got to give them no excuse. There's no way that they can ever accuse you of doing that. So everyone thought that would be enough. It turns out that it wasn't enough. But it brings up this, it's actually a really interesting question because let's say you're in a, you're in a crew, you're a team, like a family really, especially when you work together for so much, maybe away from home and everything. When someone slips up and makes a mistake, and which we'll all do, how do you respond to that? Do you, do you point the finger? Do you blame them? Do you just go, oh, go off on a big big one and you know, threaten to blacklist someone or, or something terrible like that? Or do you think, okay, this is the result. This is the problem we have. Don't do it again, but this is what we have. How can we solve it together? And I think that's typically the better result because at some it's, it's it's okay when someone else has made the mistake and you're fixing it. I'm glad that I could do that, that I could save our production that we've worked so hard on. But I'm not really like a finger-blaming person. And I think everyone who does... It doesn't, um, it doesn't solve anything. You just yeah. 
no point playing the blame game, just this yeah. is the problem. And, and, and How I've, can we solve this together? Yeah, and I've got a few stories actually where someone's tried to blame me for something, saying I was very incompetent, I'd done something wrong, I was very unprofessional. And I knew what they were complaining about was something very simple that they didn't know about. Well, then what it, happened? It, it was, right, well, I, I, give, I give you a really, um, so it, here's what happened. So basically I was delivering some visual effects to, for, for uh, a show. And by, uh, well, it wasn't really even a problem really. Basically I included um, an alpha channel with this visual effects shot. And basically it was, just, it was a shot of, uh, I know, I'd say a crack appearing in a wall. It's like a VFX crack in, in the wall. So there's no, um, so an alpha channel is like for transparency, but basically there was no transparency in it. It was just, um, you got three channels. You got red, green, blue, and an alpha. And um, if you listen to this, you probably know what an alpha channel is. So anyway, it's just like a big block of white, so everything was opaque. And normally, I just I just cut that off, so it, it's just like a normal image, as you would see. Um, but it came up in Avid Media Composer as Matt Key, Matt Key. So it's like you could just ignore that. It worked. The shot was there. It looked it looked fine. Um, there's no problem. However, the person who was like a, like a coordinator. They said, oh, it's coming up as a Mac key. It's coming up as a Mac key. What, what, what are you doing? What, what, you're not delivering this to specification. You're doing this problem. You know, this is a big thing. But the visual effects was, was there. It was all fine. Everything worked. It's just because it came up with this little bar underneath the clip in Avid Media Composer. It was, it was a Mac key. And so, and she, it was very like a, a public chastising where it was on an email and they included everyone in it, like all the producers, all the executive producers. Just no you way. are unprofessional. You know, you're, you're, you're making a big mistake here, you know, amateurish and all this kind of thing. Brutal. And, uh, and I said, okay, so I'm gonna reply and I'm gonna keep every, reply with everyone as well. And I say, okay, right click, ignore alpha, done. <laughs> and if anything, that embarrasses the person who sent that big email. That's a major without, switch. Without having a go themselves you just say okay this is what you do to solve the problem yeah 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 that, that was it it's really cool calm like samuel jackson you know really cool and calm of course and he ba i said it was literally I said, okay here's how you solve it. i didn't have a go at them i didn't say how dare you uh you know publicly berate me for being unprofessional this kind of thing especially you're the one you're incompetent because you don't know this simple thing and you made a mountain out of a molehill and all that kind of thing but no just stay really cool calm and um and then that was that's problem solved. That yeah, that, 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 that was problem yeah. solved. Yeah. So that's the thing. So if you make before you blame anyone, I think before you paint the finger, you got to check, double check, and triple check yourself that you're not missing something simple. And sometimes you could have like a lot of like kind of like like you know molten rock in your veins, you know, like larvae. You, you have this so much like anger and everything, but you've really got to. I think that saved me many times where I've been really annoyed, and then I'm thinking. Count to ten or something. Is there something? Think like a scientist, really. Is there something that I've missed, or something that I could, some little thing that I could learn, which solves this problem, rather than ask someone to do something all over again, or, or make do something that makes someone look professional? And that's been done a few times to me, where I've made a problem with um, uh, with with, uh, with color. A lot of people, VFX people, do this when they first work in TV and film because um, color space is something that you don't really learn until you've done like a lot of like real film and TV work. 
but as a really nice color grader where it said that the problem was wrong. And instead of giving me, oh, it's rubbish and all this kind of thing, invited me in, she took me to the color grading suite, showed me this is what we can do, this is why it's important, these are the principles behind it. And since then, one, we actually became really good friends. And two, I never made the, the, the mistake again and had a really thorough understanding of like color spaces and, and such. And that is the way to do it. Don't blame someone. Say, if you know the solution, just say, look, this is how we can do it. Yeah. Don't well, be a dick, people. Yeah, yeah. That's, that's, a number, that's a great rule for anything in the work life, isn't yeah. it? Just don't be a dick. Um, Shall I answer your other question about the software? Yes. Okay. Well, you mentioned Nuke After Effects. Yeah. So I think it's the basics and... I say the basics, I don't know how to use Nuke, but. <laughs> yeah, um, Nuke, Nuke's a bit more of an expensive one. When I bought it, it was 5,800 pounds. And I think that's got, last time I checked it was, it was 7,000 euros, which I, I did because I was, uh, do a lot of stuff in the, over on the continent in Europe. But um, I think it used to be, um, I mean, something, something I'll, I'll address an elf in the room maybe, is that especially 10 years, there was like a lot of software piracy, which is not a good thing. But what happened was you had a lot of people, probably didn't, at that time, things like After Effects was a thousand pounds to buy and such. You, there was no subscription, you couldn't buy things monthly. Because how much is After Effects to, to rent now? It's only like 25 pounds a month or something. I think that's for a student. I think it's about 40. Yeah, I mean, 40, it, is it for it, your creative suite? No? I, I think I'd pay a bit more. Yeah. But I have the whole package. Right. Which is oh, maybe like for the individual, yeah, for the actual individual yes, software. Yeah. I think it's not, which is really. I mean, for what it is, everything, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, that's it. And they have, I'm just thinking now, piracy's kind of stopped. Yeah, which is which is a really good thing for the industry because it, it was, um, especially because I'm making my own software now as well. I don't want anyone to. Did you uh, learn on genuine software, or did you, were you involved in pirate copies? I. Are you not willing to talk about it? I well, the, 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 <laughs> <laughs> it's a long time ago, Sam. What, 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 what I will say is that when I learned at that place called CSV Media, I don't know if it, it was it was it was a proper company. They had it. Um, Everything there, whether it was for real or not, I know probably because they had that. But I know certainly know a lot of people who did a lot of a lot of work on pirated software and such. Because purely because in, a long time ago everything was expensive, and we're now there's no excuse because everything's a lot less expensive and such. But I certainly know a lot of people who buy spend a lot of money on VFX software like myself who could never have started in this industry if it wasn't for that pirated software. In, in the right right in the beginning and they wouldn't have been at the point now where they they can form companies spend a lot of money on hardware and software and everything like that because basically there was the, the barrier to purchasing was very high mm-hmm. all that software was was based at these kind of like larger companies who had already been doing like a lot of work and everything like that. but now you've got this kind of real democratization of the software where pretty much anyone with a reasonably fast computer and some software can actually do start doing some pretty good VFX, and it's great because I mean it's like it's like with cameras before it used to be, say thirty years ago, if you want a good camera, you have to spend about a hundred thousand pounds on a camera, and then buy the film, the celluloid film to put through it, and then when you got something like the Canon five D came along, Mark II, it had a video function, and now you've got a big frame on a, a camera, it's fairly affordable. It's only a few thousand pounds. That really democratized kind of filmmaking to a lot of people because before that you'd have to be kind of like from a filmmaking family to be able to afford all that kind of thing so because of the the, the prices have come down and such because of the democratization where a lot of people can have a go because some some really brilliant people are from the place where they came from like where they didn't have any any money or anything like that, but they actually turn out to be really great talented people you know so it, it really gives them them a, them a chance but i think now 
it's really sorted where if, if people have that burning desire to be creative and they know they need those softwares, and if it is thousands of pounds for software, people aren't gonna do it. But now I say that they, they someone made a really smart business decision to basically hire that, that kind of like 20 to 50 pounds I, I, I say this was my idea in, in future works in uni. I said, why don't they make it monthly subscriptions? A small, like a gym membership. I said this. Yeah, I said this. Yeah. <laughs> and um, now everyone followed suit. Yeah. They didn't hear me, but. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I invented Uber, but you know, I'm still living in three bad semis. So. Yeah. <laughs> Ideas worth <laughs> nothing. Like Airbnb. Airbnb. <laughs> I know. It was, it was all about execution. Yeah. yeah. Right, go on. I'll, I'll plug my thing. So, my, my software that I made, that called Imagine I. You can also rent that for, and it's, to buy it, it's 480 pounds, but to buy it, you can rent it from, um, as it was 50 pounds a week for, for two weeks. And that includes all the, 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 the capture hardware and everything like that. So even if, some people said to me on the internet, it's had a really good reaction from Imagine I actually, because um, especially online, because people can be quite harsh on online, especially for something new, but everyone's just been really positive with it. But um, a few people, if, if if you're VFX supervising, sometimes what they do is they'll just do like a fade between a plate and sometimes you can do this on like a vision. If you have a monitor and one of those little live recording gizmos, you can kind of do a fade. I know from experience, sometimes a fade isn't enough, but if you want to hire, imagine, it's basically just like 25 pounds a week. But if you want to hire a monitor and that gizmo, it's going to be about 400 pounds a week. So it never makes sense anymore to hire a, the little recording gizmo and the, uh, the monitor anymore. You can just hire Imagine and you can use your own laptop. The reason why it's so inexpensive is because you're already using your own equipment for most of it. So you're already using your own mon uh, laptop, which probably has a pretty good screen these days. I think laptop screen technology has really come along, mm -hmm. come a long way. And they can, so for, for 50 pounds a week, then, um, so 25 pounds a week, sorry, then, uh, then they, they can get that. So it, it makes sense every time to, uh, Get my stuff, you know? <laughs> I wanted to ask about, I don't know if I've ever asked you before. It was about you're happy kind of as you're a freelance VFX supervisor. Yeah. Have you ever considered, I know you mentioned you've done those 100 hour weeks, which yeah. isn't nice for anyone. No, no, definitely. There's balancing that, but also the idea of working on like a big Marvel Avengers sort of thing mm. where you would have to work for a big VFX house. Yeah. Like question. in London, for example, yeah. or wherever in the world it is. Mm. Those guys, when it comes to crunch time especially, put in some really grueling hours. Mm -hmm. So there's the idea, you can have your name on the credits and on, amongst the hundreds of names that you've worked on that. Mm. Or you can work for yourself, you can have more free time, you can probably mm -hmm. earn more money. Have you, has that ever tempted you yeah. into that route? Or? Yeah, um, I'm at the point now where if, if I went to, first of all, it's with that kind of scale of work, so like the, the Marvel work and all that kind of thing, I'm probably too small of a company for them to trust with that, unless they had, here's 10 shots that I know, Sam, that you're really good at, so you can give them, so I'd be given like a, like a small, small amount of work, but because when you start to give out work to many different companies, there's a, a level of management with that, so you don't want to give out to like 100 smaller companies, you know, because it's probably that, so I probably wouldn't be, although we had the ability to work on that, especially for the things that we're really good at, um, that's, they'd probably go to like a, a bigger bigger VFX place um, as well. In terms of where, at, at the moment, in terms of my own company, it's like, there is this really nice sweet spot between, do you work for a massive, massive company where you're one of, you know, 200 people in a room doing rotoscoping, where, and, and I think a lot of that's improved because you used to hear some horror stories about, 
a lot of unpaid overtime and all that kind of thing where if you don't want to do it, there's 10 people behind you who do want to do it. And it was like, um, th- th- that kind of thing. But was there I think a company that did Life of Pi went out of business? That, yeah, that, that's a really big thing. They, they, they wouldn't manage the finances correctly. And, yeah, yeah, yeah. It, it's because it's. They, they won an Oscar. But. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you can imagine that. You win an, an Oscar, an Academy Award, and the prize for that is it, it, it banks up the whole company. Well, how did that happen then? Is that management within the VFX? You company? probably know more about this. I remember watching a video yeah. a while ago. It, it's basically they just ran out of money. And, and to get. The, the, the thing is with VFX. I think the company basically asked for more and more oh, changes. Yeah. Mm. And they said they kept delivering, but they couldn't afford to keep doing these things. Right. You get getting a mad reverse bidding thing that happens with those big films as well because let's say for so there's a new a new um, uh, Superman film that comes out for a big ticket item like that like everyone knows it you'll um, companies will bid for how low they can do it for and then the, the, the winning one normally will do it for a loss and they'll do it for the procedure saying hey look we worked in the Superman film so it's kind of like a loss leader and they'll kind of um, use that to, to get more work in, in, in the future. So, to speak. But the problem with that is that who's going to do all this work and how much you're going to pay them? VFX, I think at the moment, it's quite a low profit kind of work really, especially for a lot of people because it takes really expensive fast computers, running expensive software. It's a lot of um, work hours and you need people who have very highly skilled specialist skills that take years and years to find. So, it's the opposite of, um, what is it, what can I know? Selling an electric toothbrush where it takes like a few dollars to make and then you can sell it for 40 pounds. And then you can just bang them out, you know. So because of that, it, it's, and because people want more and more realism all, all the time, and, and I think if I just bring up the word render times, you know, it takes so much time to do VFX and such. It, it, it's, it's a really expensive thing to do and I think, even though I talked before about you can come up with a technique that makes something like 100 times faster, you need to be hitting all those notes. Because let's say if you miss one and you went down what I call a black hole of time, where you do the wrong technique, it doesn't look that great. It takes a long time and you have to pay everyone for it. And at the end, it looks, uh, you know, okay. I mean, a classic case of that is trying to do a human face. Because you've got this thing called Uncanny Valley. And there's probably only three or four films, in my opinion, who have a really got a really realistic 3D face. Benjamin Button? Yeah, oh yeah, yeah. Benjamin Button, for, yeah, for, for sure. I, I thought Social that. Network did it really well. They, mainly yeah. David Finch films. You have the two twins. Oh, it's one person, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 Put tracking yeah. marks on the other chap, didn't they? Yeah, I mean, you got things on, what's it like, the a classic one. Although I thought it was, it was, it was a good film. Jen, there was the, oh, it's like a Christmas film. It was it was a full, oh, Tom, Tom Hanks was in it with, it was, his, his likeness was in it. Polar yeah. Express. Polar, Polar Express, yeah. A load of kids find that really creepy to look at, which was a shame because one, I, I, you know, it was a good film, and and two, it's like imagine they probably had the best people in the world in the world working for not just you know working it, but maybe creating new software, doing things that people have never done before, inventing things, yeah. and to put that much work into it, and then in less than a second, a kid can look at it and think, oh, that's creepy, and then turn off from it. How heartbreaking would that be? Mm-hmm. I know because it'd be so so tricky. So. I mean, that's a lot of the kind of things you want to typically avoid to survive in visual effects is don't overpromise something. Um, you've got to think, what, what can we do that will satisfy a modern audience, mm-hmm. you know? And, and do all this thing because you can do the right technique. It can take a hundredth of the time. It works out a lot better. Or you can, you know, do something that takes, it's really expensive and at the end of it looks a bit, a, a bit rubbish. So 
it's the life of Python. They probably because there's just so much massive volume of work in, in that. They probably missed a few things, um, or maybe the techniques just didn't exist yet for that. So they had to go, you know, the long way around. Especially when you're doing something really new, because whenever you do something new, it's never optimized. It's 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 never quick. So they, they probably didn't. No one realized how much work it was going to be, and that's probably why they went over budget. I think they had to a lot of some of the freelancers had to sue to get paid. Oh, Can you imagine that? To, to that level, especially when you put so much work into it. But um, as I said, I think things, the whole, VFX is a new thing. It's kind of like, it's a very new thing where things like the money and the time, it's not as refined as it should. If you look at a different company, something that's really well established, like being a plumber or a joiner, they've really got the money, the hours, the work-life balance sorted out and everything. Like, if you compare that to say VFX, you've got people doing crazy hours, people having to do work for free. No, no one really, can anticipate everything yet. Um, so it's still, I think, a new industry and you haven't got the kind of, the hallmarks of these well more established industries because um, they, they've got all those problems that all lined out. Because that leads on nicely to talking about health, staying healthy, doing mm. what we do. I suppose Cal probably goes out. I get fresh air quite He gets often. fresh air a lot. He's out <laughs> you guys. with a camera. Yeah. We kind of sat at a desk in front of the computer like I've said that, you look in good shape. For those who don't know what Sam looks like, I compare him to like a Superman figure. <laughs> he obviously goes to the gym, that's where you met one of your yeah. great contacts. Yeah. You, got, you guys are both in good shape, by the way. Thank I you. Meant to say that. Yeah. A lot. Yeah, we try and, we try and stay in shape. Um, but how does that play in, in terms of looking after yourself to be at the optimal level yeah. of creativity and problem solving yeah. that you have to do as well? Absolutely. So uh, the things I'm going to say now are also what quite a few... Um, really great directors have said as well is that you've really if you want to put in the amount of mental energy and just just the work hours you've got to be in good health you know you've really got to look after Arnold Schwarzenegger had a really good quote where he talked about Barack Obama when he was in um, when he was the president and he said uh, if the uh, if the president if the president of America yeah (laughs) maybe I won't do the voice yeah I'll, I'll do the voice. If the president of America has time to work out, then you have time to work out. That's, yeah. real, that's decent. Like he's in the room. That's decent. So yeah, um, I think you've really got to rigidly. T- I mean, basically, my, my own thing is that I go to gym twice a week, and I pretty much do like a full body workout. So I spend about an hour and a half in the gym each time. So that's three hours a week. Did you hit? Uh, so high, high intensity, intensity training. Yeah. Um, Maybe like. Just free weights? Do you do yeah, I, I, stuff at the do? moment I do free. I think you, you just got to keep it interested as well. So at the moment I do free weights. I did do calisthenics, which is kind of like body weight stuff. And the really cool thing about calisthenics is, it's, so if, if anyone doesn't know, that's like like body weight exercises, or you can think like a how like like gymnastics type jumping of jumping squats and things like that. Yeah, yeah. jumping squats, one leg squats, um, press ups like like planche press ups or or there's something like a pull-ups, which you can kind of do between. So the good thing about calisthenics is that you can do it pretty much anywhere, and you can pretty much do it even in like a hotel room. So if you, even if you're traveling around, because that's what gets people is when they're traveling around, and there's no gym and there's no time, is that you can do a full, a pretty good full body workout, um, certainly enough to be very healthy and have good flexibility and such, in a, in a hotel room. And because it's just body weight stuff, you don't need any equipment, you can get a really good workout done in say about, about 30 minutes, and so that's full body, that's, you know, like lower body, upper body. Yeah, um, you can uh, be exhausted and yeah, you, you feel yeah. good enough. Don't and, that's it. and then when I was doing, when I first went to Carl Sainz, actually, it was when I was, I mean, I'll be honest, I was foolish to do 100 hours a week when I did it, but it, it led me, it got me to where I am now. 
that if you are super busy, is that I always made sure I always did a workout, no matter what. Um, and, and then that gives you the, the, the physical health, because if you don't do it, you will begin to kind of, what I say, like you melt into your chair. You'll basically become this kind of like, when I say melt. Slouch. Yeah, yeah, so you become like really fat and you become kind of like, you can just like permit Stereotype, dirty, yeah. yeah. Confusing nerd. Yeah, like, yeah. Hand me some Oreos. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, so yeah, you'll, so you, need, you really need to keep on off it. You, you need to t- treat it seriously. You need to eat healthily as well. Because as you, as you mentioned, it's like, a, it's like a sedentary job, like being a truck driver, especially if you do like a lot of any kind of like desk work really where you're sat in front of a computer. Um, if you really get into it, like especially with like, with like editing or, or VFX or anything, like that, anything where you have to stay, you get, you get pulled in and before you realize it, seven hours have gone and you've not even stood up from your chair once. You know, you probably have everything just nice where, you know, your coffee is just within reach. You know, obviously you've got everything set up nicely with you, you know, your monitor and monitors and, you know, keyboard and mouse and everything. So you don't have to move. Um, the things you can do, like you can get like a standing desk, a sit-stand desk. They are quite an expense, about a thousand pounds, I think, but they are, they are really good. Um, and also, I think if you're doing a lot of, a lot of hours all the time, is that I, I had a thing where if one's doing a lot of hours, I just have a cut off at midnight because when you do, especially if you come from being a student, you have this all nighter mentality. So if you I wake up, yeah. <laughs> can't understand why. <laughs> so if, if you wake up at say 8 a.m. and then you work all the way through to say 3 a.m. the next morning, okay, you can do that maybe twice and then after that, the rest of your time is ruined, okay. So if you add up the hours you can work, so so maybe you did one. 16-hour stretch, and then another one, that's 32. But then after that, you'll probably only get productive time maybe three hours a day after that because you'd be so tired and you'd be very wishy-washy with your work and everything. So I say set a definite time where you're just, and you've got to be quite brutal with this because even if you know something's got to be done for tomorrow, um, set that time where you just definitely go to sleep at that time and then wake up at a normal time. And that way you can put a decent amount of hours in throughout the whole week. It's kind of, it, 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 to be honest, it sounds like protracting torture, doesn't it, really? No, I agree. <laughs> Sleep's a massive one, but it's the same as kind of working out. If you destroy your body one day, you're not going to want to go to the gym for the whole week. Whereas if you train, exactly, you, then you can train every day, for example. So you're not burning out completely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And a lot of people who go to the gym, they say, oh, I push really hard and everything like that. And when they burn themselves so, out so much, your body will tell you it's not, it's not like great, you know. Mm-hmm. So, so I mean, a lot of people who are like you know really great athletes and everything, you only ever want to go to something like eighty percent all the time, or or you only want to hit hundred percent a few times during that that workout, because other than that, you know, you just tire out your nervous system, and your nervous system is just tired and don't want to do it anymore. That's why people quit the gym, isn't it? and stop working out because it's it's, it's an unmanageable or it's it too so physically and and neurologically too stressful to to, to keep up for a long period of time. Yeah. Definitely. I know you've told many a story already, but were there any more ups and downs throughout your career that you feel would be valuable to people listening? Yeah, well, I mean, the greatest ups was one, I mean, for the first few years that I did it, money was not that great. Now, it's great. Going back to your earlier question, actually, if I went to work for a bigger company, it would be a pay cut at the moment, pretty much anywhere in, in the world. So, I think... Sam's balling, basically. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> he walks I mean, up into the club. <laughs> yeah, let it rain. He doesn't so walk anywhere. He drives yeah. his Lamborghini yeah. around. <laughs> um, so there is that kind of a lot. Of, the reason why a lot of you get these kind of like medium-sized VFX companies are because one, you you typically get 
the money you keep for yourself is, is normally more than if you work for a really big, big company. Um, plus, if you own the company, you get to obviously, you, you, there's an old saying that no one's going to pay you a lot of money for working for someone else. You know, you pretty much have to make, make that money. Um, for, sorry, what was the question again? Ups and downs. Ups and downs. Ups and downs, yeah. So anyway, so basically in the last few years when it, the money has become really good, you think, wow, this is actually a really good way to actually earn money now, which is great because I don't think I can do anything else now. You know, because, you know, your CV is so specific in terms of doing what you do. Like, uh, if that's an editor or anything, you couldn't really do anything else. Like, I don't know, work as the carpenter or something like that. It's, you could, it's, it's something completely different. But um, it's really good. I really love traveling. Uh, when I get to go to, like, loads of different countries and, and the, the people that you, you work with, I've had so many really great friends through through working in this, um, in, in this industry. And the people you meet are are absolutely fantastic. You get to see different parts of the world when you go to all these different filming locations um, because everyone's into the same specific area and perhaps shares some of the, the good times and the bad times that you've had. You have so much in common. I mean, some of the best drinks out with like workmates and everything uh, uh, you know, after we've, we've wrapped for that day have all been from this, this, this career. So the, the people that meet, the good, you know, the good times, the laughs, the stories that you tell and everything like that, it really makes the whole lifestyle as opposed to just the, the career as well. And that, that's been a really, um, that, that's definitely been like the greatest part. And also, this is something, that maybe it's a bit more specific to visual effects, but for someone, and you mentioned Superman before, you know in Superman, you know when someone's in a really bad situation, they need to be rescued, and the only person that can save them is Superman. Right, so there's been a few situations where the production has has had a really big problem to the point where they think, "Oh no, we can't even broadcast a show." It's like what we spent these millions of pounds for, and they've gone to a lot of people, and it's only you can save them from that situation. And you come in, you swoop in like Superman, <laughs> and you and you save the day, and you save like the whole production because of that. And then everyone recognizes you as being that person and, and, and your team as well because we were really great people as you are the people who saved that whole production and therefore you're invaluable and therefore you'll always get repeat business from other places in the future so that's the key thing of really helping someone that would have been doomsday basically but you come in and save the day and also when not many almost no one else could actually do that job what about the bad the bad times we well, have been getting called out on an email thread, but you dealt with that very well. Yeah, yeah, I've, I've got, um, I have, I have got the one. long hours. The I, I, was, hours. I was debating whether to actually say this. Um, I, I, I'll do a little one first, which I think we can definitely okay. stay in. Um, so the whole, right now, is quite nice. I've got a team. I always thought, could I raise a child in my job at the moment? Now, yes, that's fine. And to the point where I have got really good people working for me, because it's quite difficult to find that way. I think to find really good people who work for you, who, 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 you know, who work for you and, and they're happy to work for the, the money you can give them and all that kind of thing, that's really amazing because it gives you your life back as well. Because you get this, especially with artists, it's kind of like, oh, oh only I can do it kind of, um, kind of approach, which is really bad because then you can never really grow a business because it's just you. And you've only got so many hours in a day and you can't really do more than that. Um, you can't really grow beyond that. But um, finding really good people is great. Um, but now uh, I feel like I can raise a child. I have the time where I can actually... Because I never want to be that kind of dad where 
they only see me at the weekends and like you know the little kid is saying to mum who's that man mummy who's that man oh that's your father really you know I never really wanted to be like that but now it's to the point where one I've, I can certainly you know financially look after a family and also maintain a lifestyle where you know we can eat out many times a week we can go quite a few holidays a year and traveling or perhaps uh, indulging like a few special interests or hobbies that we have um and uh and all that kind of thing and not have to worry about money or bills or, or anything which is which is great but before that a few years ago i there's no way that i could have had a child if I, if it was just, just looking after me if i was if it was just me looking after that child, it would have to have gone to like social services or, or something because God. it would. I, I could never have given and put the hours in. I mean, so maybe, maybe I was a bit of a fool and, and I didn't do the best career route, maybe. But I do know it's worked for me, and I do know that a lot of people who got started, especially from like our kind of generation, they've had to put in a lot of hours. It wasn't like a, an apprenticeship where it says, "Oh, we'll pay you to learn." You know, you walk out of school on Friday, you're working into a job for life on Monday, that kind of thing doesn't really exist anymore. Um, but although there are more opportunities to start businesses these days, I think. So the bad times were is that I had to put in a lot of hours and persevere to really stupid levels of, of dedication. To, and also, this kind of brings me to my bad, more bad story, where if people, there's a few uh, people, let's say if you put a production together, You've only got a certain amount of budget. You really want a lot. And um, by the way, I, I'm, I'm kind of talking about producers here. Some of the nicest people I've known have been producers. They invite me to run to their house. We've gone for out together and everything like that. But if you're a producer, you've got to do deliver a production to, to a certain level of quality for on time and on budget. And what they, they love is these kind of golden nugget people where you get these really great artists where they just love the job. And they work for almost nothing because they want to do the first thing in like TV or film or anything. And some people will take advantage of that because they know that, oh, wow, I'm pretty much going to get the same level of work for £10,000 that I would realistically have to spend maybe £60,000, £70,000 to get a proper company and to do it. And that was me. Because I, um, I just wanted to do the work. I wouldn't really care about the money or anything like that. And when I started work, I thought, wow, I can actually make money from doing this. It's not just a hobby anymore transition from that to a career but what you do is you get some people who really take advantage of it and you've got to look after yourself you know because some some they will let you work for free, you know for for free pretty much or i mean some of the illness if i did if i break it down it's probably about two pounds per hour that i was i was working for so effectively you were undercutting your competition i guess well yeah yeah it's, it's just it's a big thing within the camera world at the moment as well like holding your rate and a lot of it stems from quite old school camera guys who've been in the, you know, they've spent £150,000 on kit, mm. they've got their rate, they've got 30 years experience, and then they've got younger guys coming in, mm. not necessarily spending as much on kit, um, but undercutting their rates and still doing a very good job. Like, how do you yeah. feel about that That whole ethos? I don't know, it's yeah. difficult. I had to go out cheap as well when I first started. Now, I, now I'm in a great position, I don't have to, but it, take, it takes time, you know? Yeah, first of all, it's a great release that you're, you're at that point where you don't have to do that thing anymore. Mm. Um, I think the whole going cheap is something that's, that I was, I was a fool to do. Because um, I was, at the beginning, it was the reason why is because you want to offer a rate that no one can say no to. Because especially if that's your only way that you can put food on the table for yourself, it makes you a bit desperate. So 
the whole, I mean, I, I always, I have a little mantra that I give about if, if someone's want, wants to work in the creative industry and, and such, how, how much do you charge per, per day and everything like that? Because um, undercutting is not great because the person who wins it will kind of, like life of pie, they'll not go in our business, right? And then, it, and it just kind of cheapens the whole industry. So, and I think it's something that's uh, probably endemic to a new industry where no one knows like the proper rates and everything because you'll never get, say, an electrician or a plumber going really, really cheap. You know, they really look after. They want, um, you know, how much money they charge and everything proper. So they, they've, they've really got it down. Um, so I basically say to, to new people going into the industry, I give them these, these kind of like three levels. Um, so one is basically the free or 80 pounds per day range. That's kind of like if you're a student. And then after that, there's 120 to 150 pounds a day. And then after that, you've got 200 to 250 pounds a day. And after that, I don't need my advice anymore. So when you're starting off, say if you're a student uh, and you want to do your first things, just might be for, if it's in video, say, look, look, you know, pick, pick a shop down, down the road that say like a medium sized business and say, first go in and say, do, do it for 80 pounds. Don't do it for less than 80 pounds. Going for saying, listen, I'll do it for 80 pounds a day. And the way you price it up back basically is think honestly, how long will it take you to do the work? Say five days, okay. Then add 20% to that to account for problems. So five days plus 20% is. What are we doing the math now? Is it doing the math now? 40, 40, 40. Oh, 20? So, 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 Think okay, that'd be six days then to account for you know problems and all that kind of thing, and then you multiply that six days by your your day rate. So first of all, you do I do you go in for eighty pounds. That by the way, eighty pounds. You're not sure if you can even do it or not. You know. So and also, if you're a business, if you spent maybe I know two hundred pounds or something like that, if it if it messes up, it's not really a problem. You know? Just for our international audiences, that's pretty much minimum wage in the UK, right? Yeah. Equivalent yeah. of what say one hundred and twenty dollars a day. For yeah, uh, I think Almost. minimum wage at the moment is about fifty-five pounds, sixty pounds a day. Yeah, yeah. Is it? Yeah, yeah. I thought it was about. Is it eight pounds an hour? Eight pounds times eight, so eight times eight hours, so that's sixty-four pounds. Right. Okay. So it's slightly above uh, minimum yeah. wage. So, so it's, it's, it's above, it's above minimum wage and everything. So you go in at um, eighty pounds a day, or if if they if you're just doing it for some way, you're really not bothered if it's going to work or not. Let's just try it. Then you'll do it for free. But as a as a student. I had to do stuff for free, but I only did that for, a, I'd say, about about six months. And then after that, I always made sure that I always charge for them. So free or £80 a day. Don't go less than £80 a day, because if you go £80, so if, you, if you're paying someone £40, you're thinking, is the quality even going to be any good? Because, it, or let's say you charge someone £10 a day. What's, what's that? Mm, what you do know? you get for that money? So, so either between free or £80. Let's go to the next level, 150 to £120 a day. So when you're negotiating, say 150 pounds a day, and if you say that's too much, you want to set what I call, I, did, I actually stole it from someone who's a lot better than business than me. You want to set a walk away point. And what that is, is so if you're 150 pounds a day, you'll do it for that, but set your walk away point at 120 pounds a day. So you're bartered down to 120 pounds, if it goes that far, hopefully not. But if, you, if they hit that, say, okay, that's how much it takes to do a good quality job on this one, because especially in video, if it's not good quality, you might as well not do it at all, you know? Mm. So what you'll often find is that if they even say no to that, one, job wasn't worth doing, but what you'll often find is that they will call you back and say, okay, let's do it for that money. 
I've, I, I say actually 100% of the time that's happened with me actually, where I've set that walk away point. Because normally that company, they'll be so far down the path that they don't have time to be checking with loads of other companies and everything like that. And plus it gives you, one that's a bit of a, a pride thing there, but it gives a kind of assurance of quality that you won't just go really, really, really cheap. You're not needy in a way. You're, you're like, this is my standard. Exactly, yeah. And so it's saying if you go up to say 250 pounds a day, set your walk away point at say 200 pounds. So you'll go and barter it and then everything. And then as soon as they try to go below 200, say, okay, that's how much. It stays on the table. Always be pleasant. Don't do anything like, oh, you're cheapskate or anything like that. Um, just always be positive. Always offer a solution, you know. So this, we can get it done for this much money. And yes, it will be of great quality. Okay, and then just leave it, always leave it on the table. And I say pretty much every time it, it really works. So that's how I think you can kind of um, structure the amount of money that you work. And by the way, to go between those three levels, I say you gotta do about five projects at that rate before you go up to the next. But I'm gonna say a project, a project will last about maybe two weeks to a month, I'd say. Just to prove it to yourself. Like, yeah. Because especially because when you're going for like high level work, so let's say I have a budget VFX budget of say like hundred thousand pounds to to work with. What, when you're doing that that money, it's like if you say if you had a VFX budget of I don't know five thousand pounds, it's when you go for hundred thousand pounds, it, it's kind of this double edged sword where you must produce something that's really good or or, or higher than that because. At that kind of money, there's a lot of people that are watching you. And if you slip up at that level, a lot of people will notice and it will be really bad for your career. So if you want to slip up and make, you know, have problems and such, try to do that at the beginning of your career when not too many people can see it, where the consequences aren't as bad. Learn from those and then try not to make those mistakes um, later on or, or try to include that in pricing ways so you make some kind of allowance for making mistakes but when you have that kind of money do you have the kind of like error margins to build in and such so finally we just want to finish off with a cool little quick fire round so you're um 32 years old 32 now so i'd say kind of that advice when you were starting out maybe as like your 18 or 21 year old self going into this is there anything you could share to that younger self yeah um i'd say make sure you spend enough time networking, getting to know people. Because I know plenty of people who are, to be honest, quite genius level ability, but they're, they're still working out of like the, the, the bedrooms at home, doing little things for, for, for no money and such. Because you could be absolute genius, you could be better than people who are already working in the industry for, for, for many years. But unless you know someone who can put you in that job, you know, you, you'll never be noticed ever. So make sure that you, that you spend but two things basically make sure you network a lot and two just look after your money really and for that you really need someone who i call although this is a bit i don't know this is maybe the wrong thing like a money man so someone who is as passionate which could be a money lady as well so when say a money man they are as passionate about just making money as you are about your your art and they will make sure that they this is where the money is let's show sure, make sure we're always covered for everything because a lot of artists you know, you know, it's like the whole like penniless, brilliant artist painting in Paris at the side of the river with the beret on, you know, the, the, the penniless genius type of thing. Um, just really get in with someone who's always chasing money in bigger projects. And for me, it was what the uh, friend who's a director, one of the, uh, the, the he, he, won, um, he won an Emmy recently. 
one of his shows, which is the TV equivalent of an Oscar. Uh, it's called Matt Bloom, and he's from Manchester, actually. So he's, he's done some really fantastic work. But meeting him was really a major thing for me because he's always chasing larger projects all the time. He is basically my agent. It's just I don't pay. <laughs> <laughs> he's your friend who will refer you for work. Yeah, basically. Yeah, he is, and basically, uh, a lot. I've done a lot of projects with him, and he's always chasing bigger and bigger things. And basically, because I, um, because I've not been that great at being the whole chasing thing, uh, I'll, I'll say without any, um, with humility, that I've that I've basically hold on to his, his coattails a lot, and I basically just followed him as he's gone up to bigger and bigger things. And because I, I, I produce visual effects that's in the style that he really likes, that he finds difficult to get from anyone else. Especially not without spending like Hollywood money. Um, I'm going to say about Hollywood money. It still make really good budget, uh, you know, good money and everything. It's it, it, where I can pay me and my team a really good wage, but it's not so big that I have to start kind of like hiring people for no money. So anyway, I'll get back to the point. Um, so get hold of someone who really chases bigger projects. And he was chasing more money all the time. Because if you realistically know that you're not that kind of person who's good at, you know, spinning money out of nothing or, or that kind of thing. This is an expensive industry. You need to be paid well for your work. You have specialist skills, um, you know, expensive hardware and software and all that kind of thing. You need to be paid really well. And if you know you're not that kind of money person, you need to cling on to someone who is good at that kind of thing. The nerd in me laughed at Klingon. <laughs> Not even as tricky. Um, final one. What's the future for yourself? Future goals and ambitions. You mentioned family. You've got Imagine Eye as well. So yeah, yeah. So one, I can finally have a family now. Woohoo! Which is uh, which is which is great. Um, have you found a partner yet? That's been married. Oh yeah, married. Married. I got married two months ago. Actually, there's, there's I'm holding my wedding there. Um, yeah, really uh, lovely lady. She she kind of stuck with me through my hundred hour a week time, which is so she's really she's a really good soul. Um, but yeah, no, it's it's really good. I find a really good partner. I uh, I say as I said in my wedding speech, when I'm with her, it's like every, every day, every time I'm with her, it's like I'm on holiday. You know that frame of mind you get into when you're on holiday and everything's light and everything. That's what it's like all the time. So I'm really lucky um, in that respect. Um, two things I find really interesting are one are is making tools. So like my Imagine-I software and, and hardware combination, uh, I think that was going to help really, especially at the price point we're offering it at, I think that's going to move the whole film industry forward in a really good way. It's just a really powerful, simple tool that's very affordable for everyone. It solves so many problems and it makes the whole filming process a lot nicer. Um, it changed the whole atmosphere on set, especially on visual effects. This is a really cool thing where we can all participate in, as opposed to what's this weird, confusing green screen thing that we're doing. I don't really get it. Let's 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 cut a load of corners. You know, screw the VFX guy. You know that they, they can um, or, or or girl they can clean up the mess afterwards. It clears all that away. So there's that, and also I find managing people is really really interesting as well. Where the great, I mean, I'm, I'm really lucky to have worked with so many really intelligent, hardworking people. And you learn so many things. I mean, let's just give a quick example. So let's say someone does a VFX shot, and I know they're really clever, they're really good, but it's not good enough. I've got to ask someone to do something better than their best. And how do you do that? How do you do that? And the answer is, is you've got to give them a new technique, and you've got to explain that to them in a way where, I mean, what you don't ever want to do is tell someone, um, yeah, can you take a look at that again? Can you do a better version of that? 
So well, I tried really hard and that, that represents 100% of what I can do. If I would have done better, I would have done it. I'm not like someone who's just like slacking off at work and did, did my work with my, my, my left foot. Yeah, it's one of the worst things like, a producer can say to you is like, I like it, it could be better, but I'm not sure why yeah. or how. Cause they, so they can't, for some reason, explain what's the matter with it. You need to and, articulate and, why. Yeah, and it's horrible to hear. Yeah. <laughs> and, and it's like, well, I've done, I've done my best. So basically you need to basically say, okay, here, don't just say, oh, to do, do it better. Cause that, that's really gives you nightmares, you know, it really makes you want to strangle someone, you know, when someone says that to you, can you just do a better job of it? How, uh, I don't know, can you just make it better? You know, like just like some better slider in your software between it's a bad place, and plug great. And you just, oh, you slide it on. Yeah, yeah, can you just, right. just make their performances better? You know, you turn the slider and, and they turn from Johnny Nobody into like um, Brad Pitt or something like that, you know, by moving the slider. Uh, but yeah, um, and basically the answer to that, by the way, if you want someone to do better than their best, you need to teach them a new technique. Okay, that's how it works. But also just, just really interesting managing people or if something tricky happens, like if they say, oh, uh, I want a pay raise in front of everyone else and everyone else is really happy with their pay rate and you're thinking, well, compared to all the companies that you will be working in, I'm actually paying you about 30% more than they are. So I am competitive and everything like that. Um, and interestingly, that kind of person is normally the person with the lowest ability, by the way. So uh, that, it's always the people with the lowest ability who tend to overestimate their, their own abilities. So how to deal with um, that kind of thing. So I think managing people, basically building more of a company really, basically making a product to try and, and that's incredibly exciting to be able to make something like my Magi thing where you can, everyone all over the world can use that and it basically moves the whole VFX industry forward, especially the kind of like non-premium end where they can't afford to spend, you know, five grand a week on renting servers and cranes and everything you need to make the awesome but expensive existing VFX visualization tools. Awesome. So where finally, where can people follow you, Imagine I? Where do we go? Uh, so the, I have a Facebook page. Okay. So you can just type in uh, Imagine I and it'll come straight up. You can go to the website, imagineiapp.com. I'll probably have to spell that because it's a bit of a funny. So it's I M. A G I N E Y E A P P dot com. And uh, that's it. Uh, I'm on LinkedIn, Sam Highfield. So uh, with Imagine I, we're doing quite a few demos. So uh, I'm not sure when this is going to go out, but um, we're going to be doing some demonstrations for you know some big VFX houses like Framestore and such. And we'll be putting, there's been a lot of interest in general from the VFX industry. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to put a list of dates on the Imagine I app. Uh, website i'm probably on facebook as well so if you want to come along to a demonstration look for a date and uh, a location so if you come down or if there's one demonstration near you and you can see uh performed live and i'm, I'm sure you love it because you know fortunately so far fortunately we've had like 100 percent positive reaction to it because it's like a scientific instrument it just makes things better there's no argument in it so yeah it's very useful cool sam thank you very much for your time thank you thank you, thank you.